Hey, I'm Lee Kasumba, and this is our journey across Africa, navigating the intricate landscapes of business, culture, and global influence from the African perspective. Africa Whisperer, telling authentic African stories in a global way. On this episode of the Africa Whisperer. So I think what I did, uh, the, probably the, the most powerful thing that that I did was to, to give hope for, for, for something related to my own sector. Something also shared that, oh, you know, there is a inner beauty behind these ruins. There is a motive for you to, to look at these not as a ruin, but as a piece of your of your own history, good or bad. So I think that the um, the symbolism behind uh, certain architectural work is way more important than the quality of the architecture itself. My guest on this episode of the Africa Whisperer, Omar Degan, provoked my mind to consider how I saw the world. For example, did you ever consider the fact that as Africans, either because of the history of colonialism all decisions that we still make today, we aren't really surging forward and celebrating our own African vernacular when it comes to architecture. I mean, did you ever think about how architecture can truly reflect our culture as opposed to creating cities that are replicas of a global standard that we didn't even set? I certainly didn't. Omar shared candidly about his journey as an architect, his first trip home to Somalia in 2017 that almost never happened due to the Mogadishu bombings, reconnecting to Somalia through his work and remembering that although he was a diasporan, he quickly learned that he had to approach things from the perspective of being willing to learn from the people around him. A pan-African architect, the, the principal Whisperer. architect at Do Architecture, an Obama leader at the Obama Foundation, and a witty TEDx speaker that reminded us that Somalia is more than just about pirates, far from the cliché Black Hawk Down. You see, way before it went through the heartbreaking civil war, Somalia was one of Africa's first nations to gain independence. It was so beautiful that it was often referred to as the Pearl of the Indian Ocean. Here's how our conversation went. Enjoy. It took a bit, but you know what? I'm honestly having this conversation with you is beyond worth the wait. I've been telling everybody I'm interviewing and I'm telling them about the work you do. Everybody's like, they can't wait to hear the, the conversation. So yeah, this is really fantastic. And I know you're really busy. So thank you very much. No, I appreciate you to contact me. And you made me feel uh, bigger than what I am. You know, you, you, you feed my ego now. <laughs> <laughs> You know what it is that I've noticed in all the work that I've done is that people who are doing the greatest work are usually the people who aren't aware that they're making history. And I don't think you realize that how important your work is and how you're making history, because I feel as though what you do is from obviously from a place of purpose. And it's it's serving it like an entire community, you know. I like I love that kind of work, so it's incredible. You know, when they said you start locally and then you go globally, yeah, I think they say it. But the the, the thing that shocked me in in a way was that I started outside Somalia before, and then I ended up in Somalia. But then uh, the impact of what I'm trying to do, it actually took me around the world and there is like something bigger which is like I think the uniqueness of our continent Africa 
which is we actually work for our you know single nations, but at the end of the day, we work for the total image and the, improving the image of Africa itself, which I think is the yeah. most beautiful thing. So you mentioned just now about how you started globally, which I think is, is really awesome. You were born in Italy and you grew up there, obviously, as a Somali, as an African first generation born from your family in Italy. What was your upbringing like? Um, what kind of stories did your parents and family tell you about Somalia? Just give us a little bit of a background of what it was like growing up in Italy. I, I think it was, was great for me. Uh, you know, growing up in there, being born in there, and then the fact that I'm also, you know, I grew up in a, in a, in a small village, it made it even even funnier in that sense. But one thing that I always mentioned that um, that was interesting to me, right, is that, of course, uh, when you study in, in Italy in the education, there is a moment where you you touch the colonial past, right? Mm. And I think was that was really interesting in a way because you have that, that history in in the education system, which is, you know, not portrayed at all as a positive thing, which I think is a great thing. Uh, uh, despite the funny part when then we were like then, t- uh, you know, starting to look about Somalia, everyone was looking at me like I was alive back to the colonial time. But, <laughs> but um, <laughs> and I was like, guys, I know as much as you, you know, but yeah. I think I think what what really probably had an impact on me were like, um, of course, the, the stories of, of how Somalia was. Um, which is completely different from what it is now. And, and, and you know, uh, we're talking about a very progressive nation developed in that sense. Um, and I'm talking about the period of time after the independence. Yeah. Somalia was together with, our, I think, 13 African nations to gain the independence in a few years in the 1960s. So, you know, was was part of that sort of pan-African revolution. And, and extremely developed, but then, you know, uh, people people obviously are easy to remember the bad things. And and I think that it is like pretty much common about uh, all, all Africa in that sense. But growing up in Italy, it kind of like exposed me to probably things that had an impact on me to become an architect later on. <laughs> I believe there's no better way for, to start uh, architecture if not living in Italy, I guess. You know, when you speak about about how people are quick to forget the good parts of 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 countries, you know, um, specifically as Africans, I think we we need to also realize that sometimes you do it. I'm from Uganda originally, and I know that with my dad and like when I'd hear him talk with his friends and my uncles and everything, they really, you know, people used to speak about Somalia and the way that you know, that they had remembered it from the stories that they had heard from their parents, you know. Um, so it, 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 I always had this thing like, wow, it was so interesting, you know, because being in East Africa, we weren't really far from you guys. And so whatever happened in Somalia would obviously directly affect people in Uganda and, and, and Kenya and all of that. So it was always just so interesting that people who either their parents were aware of it and that kind of thing always spoke about, oh, Somalia is like the pearl of the Indian Ocean. Like you heard these beautiful stories about Somalia. So it is um, quite uh, hard breaking you know that things had changed so much and so drastically but it does come from a beautiful history you know for the people that left before the civic war and they have very a strong memory of their upbringing and and the things that are happening there is also very painful to discuss about these things mm. and and see how it was is almost like there is a part of mind that is telling you you know what it is what it is it's gone so there's no meaning for me to think about that but for me for me the thing was not even that related to Somalia, which, by the way, you know, at the uh, secondary school in Italy, how to present a dissertation. And then, you know, you present a dissertation about history or whatever. So, and I brought, you know, uh, Somalia and, and, and 
the colonial and the independence times they remember right uh, so 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 that thing it, it had like you know it's like an indirect manipulation that your family does on you mm-hmm. so you always have that thing to remind you um, you know that you you also have a, a, another place to look at yeah. and and for me it, it was way bigger than that in a sense that my focus wasn't specifically directed to uh, to Somalia at the beginning but was the idea of Somalia that brought me to think about which one would have been my focus. So mm-hmm. the idea for me to work in, in, in fragile context, in, in emergency situations, in supporting mm-hmm. neglected communities around the world came to this you know, indirect experience of what happened to Somalia that brought me to say, look, you know, if you, I think there is, there is a famous writer that I can't, can't recall the name that he said that whoever has the power to act as also the duty to act. And that's like stuck with me for, you know, my whole career. And every day I start to remember that. It's like, yeah, but if I can do something, I have to do something. Oh, I love that. Um, and, you know, just now talking about you be- deciding to become an architect, uh, an, an architect, pardon me, H- how did that happen? Was it, was there something specifically? Was there something else that you're maybe going to study um, or that kind of thing? How did you get redirected into architecture? Well, my mom wants me to become a doctor. Yeah, and she's still telling me that I should have become a doctor. Uh, <laughs> but but the thing is, um, medicine wasn't my thing. So I remember uh, one day she cut at her finger and she asked me to do something for her. I, I was barely able to help her. I was like, go to the doctor, you know, <laughs> that's not me. I've always been a very independent person. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really made to, to be an employee of mm-hmm. someone else. And I always thought that um, for me, it would be important to, uh, I learned that during the years to, to be uh, my own decision maker, at least for what is concerning my own personal decision. And I had this inner kind of like feeling of being more on the creative spectrum of life mm-hmm. and uh, and i think that also you know my family and the surrounding you know always been a bit more inclined to that uh my sister herself she's a photographer she's a documentarist photographer mm-hmm. so these things they kind of a role in the blood i guess but yeah. on the other hand the question for me was always okay you know can I become an architect in italy is a very was a very respected profession. Uh, that's fantastic. And and then also, you know, my family was either you become an engineering or a doctor or a lawyer. Pick <laughs> one of these. You know, that's all my, I was like, yeah, I'm going to become an architect. Well, what is an architect? We don't know. Go engineering. I was like, I'm not going to go to engineering. I'm even better maths. You know. <laughs> so there was a bit of there was a bit of fight in this situation. But uh, I felt that was the thing that it was a bit. Uh, you know, in the middle between creative spectrum and freedom, possibility to have a, to have an impact within you know our societies, and and at the same time be able to take my own decisions. At least that's what I thought before becoming an architect. And then everything changes when you're in the middle of it, right? Yeah, and it's getting worse. <laughs> now I'm also, you know, um, the little that I know about architect, um, architecture and all of that, I never actually imagined that there was such a thing as I think it's like emergency, like you deal in emergency situations. Like that was the initial type of architecture that you were doing. I always thought, like from what I saw in the movies, excuse me, I'm just going to be honest. It was always like people who were like architects that were building these amazing buildings and they were sitting and they were, you know, it was just that kind of thing. Like it's just getting these great spaces and and designing them and and you know and drawing like all
all of these awesome things, I didn't actually know that there were different types of architecture that people could be involved in. So can you tell us about what you were doing before Somalia, the type of architecture that you were doing, and then when you went into Somalia, how that kind of shifted? Well, well, here's here's the thing. I think is a very very important point, and and I think is extremely related to the image of an architect. But I studied architecture a bit old school, I would say in Italy, but also in a, in a in a particular academia where where the meaning of you becoming an architect is working with communities and improving the quality of their space despite designing a house or a building or a, a skyscraper. So you know, I think that now we are, the world is in a transition moment where it's not the same of 40 years ago or 30 years ago, not even about like five years ago. So mm-hmm. we're moving towards a direction which, which is getting closer to, 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 to have more crisis, to have uh, issues that we, we have to, to solve from internal migrations to climate change, conflict. Uh, lack of shelters, and you name it. For me, it was I've been told that you know, you as an architect, you are supposed to solve problems. So you're supposed to figure out where the problem is and solve it. And this problem can be, oh, I have a very small room and I have to place a kitchen. What can you do? But can then become, oh, I have a whole community of internal displaced people or of a gentrified area, what can I do to support the creation of appropriate shelter for them? Mm. So the thing is, the, the concept, the approach for me is exactly the same, but the scale is different. So when I say that I work on fragile context, uh, people always think about cities like, you know, Mogadishu or Kabul or, you know, or Baghdad. Um, but there are like cities like, uh, you know, there is the 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 outskirts of Milan that is in the same sort of fragile context. You go Baltimore in the U.S. or Detroit or Caracas in South America or, you know, <laughs> Rio de Janeiro, Sao Paulo. So we, we tend to focus that on, 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 on developing nations, but is the is is the same thing for also uh, developed nations. But concerning your question, which I think is really important to before Somalia, for a period of my of, of my life, I designed um, ice cream shops. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I designed so many ice cream shops from, yeah. from Milan to Paris to Hong Kong and New York. Yeah. Uh, that was what I was doing. And and I think honestly it was the most miserable time of my oh, life. Wow. So yeah, so that's why it's like I I quit that job and I was like I never do that again in my life. So after that I managed to so as I mentioned before I you know I was telling you so I, I studied in Italy I earned my bachelor my master degree, uh, but then I took a specialization school so I did a postgraduate school in emergency context and developing nations, and we went with a group in 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 South America in in Argentina so we working there on Islam upgrade uh, in supporting of the federal government of Buenos Aires. So we did a certain work in there. As soon as I finished that, I moved to Cameroon. And Cameroon was the first experience in Africa. And Cameroon is quite is quite um it's quite a situation. I don't have another way of describing it. So that's quite a, a big dive. It's quite it's quite a situation. When I was in there, it was starting to become quite a situation. Oh. So I kind of left I kind of lived that that situation growing. Yeah. But what, what I was doing in Cameroon was, 
you know, uh, completely different was probably, you know, the dream of us that I, I collaborate with a company that was building the African World Cup of Yaounde. So I worked in that and I uh, did like, you know, work uh, towards supporting houses for uh, ministers and government officials. It was a completely different things. But then I took it, I decided to take a break and and I quit architecture for almost two years. So I was like, I, I'm, I'm done with this, you know, yeah. for a bit. Uh, but then I decided to go to, and I ended up going to Somalia, which I think gave me, you know, again, in that particular moment was what I needed to have a, a switch in life, right? And and having an understanding that actually my skills could be of certain help. So I feel like in the life of, of each one of us, there is always, uh, there are different moments where you kind of like understand there is a moment to move forward in certain things as much as at the moment now, but back then, that transition was the moment it was like, okay, I'm going to Somalia. And that started a different kind of struggle. From what I understand, the first time that you went back to Somalia was in um, October 2017. And if I track back to that, that would be around the time that there was a, there would have been, a, there, I think there was like a bombing or something that had happened in Mogadishu, a pretty big one. And you were in Nairobi at that time, right? Correct. Here's my question. So how do you make this decision to just I'm going to go, there's been a bombing, you know, you could have gone and, you know, you could have just decided, look, this is not happening. I'm, I'm leaving. So what was the thought process around that? Where do you get even the courage to just be like, I'm going to continue. I'm going to pursue. How does that happen? I didn't want it to go. I, 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 <laughs> I didn't want it to go. So let me, let me just like tell the, the, you know, because I mean, despite me liking the, the, the story of the hero going and do the things, it wasn't like that at all. Yeah. So I didn't want it to, but as I said, unfortunately, as as architects, we have a very big ego related to what can we do. I figured it out that my ego is actually pretty huge in certain things related to designing buildings and stuff. So when my cousin, I was with my cousin, and when she was like, no, you know, I'm going to go, you can stay near, but then who's going to design this thing for me? You know, I have to think a local person and, and you know, he's not going to be able to eventually see my vision on that. And I was like, ah. I mean, I'm already near, so let, let's go, you know? And then the plan was just to stay two days anyway to Mogadishu. So I was like, okay, fine, you know, let me <laughs> let me just go. So I think my, my architecture ego just, you know, uh, drove me there, I guess. Well, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, there was something that drove you there. So now, now you being in Somalia, what was the language situation like? Because I would imagine you were fluent in, in English and in, in Italian. Were you able to speak Somali? What were some of the initial challenges or things that you had to get around and get past? And also just learning how things work. I'm, I asked that question because quite a few people that we've interviewed, you know, many of them, like they decided to go back to their home countries and they would get there. They're like, things don't work the same. <laughs> you know, they had to readjust, reacclimatize and so forth. What was that like for you? <laughs> so language-wise, absolutely a struggle and still a struggle. So that, that, that's one thing for sure. Uh, but movement around and how to deal with, uh, you know, the environment and stuff, that was the easier mm -hmm. thing for me. I didn't really struggle much with that. I think it's very close to Italy, the behave of people wow. and how the things work. Very Mediterranean, I will say. So I think the Mediterranean, the South of Europe is very close to, to Africa and dealing with things. was a bit, was rough. Um, was rough. And I think also, you know, I wasn't, used to, to certain security situations or very traumatized situation in, in certain contexts. So that was, was really, really hard. And, mm -hmm. and I think he also had like a certain level of impact on, 
on me with uh, from from level and distress and emotional anxiety maybe so it wasn't it wasn't really easy on the long run i can imagine um and just with regards to that you know um i was i was kind of thinking a lot around this because mogadishu obviously unfortunately has a very you know we spoke about how it had this beautiful time in history and then uh, it went through a really rough time so a lot of the a lot of what is what was left post the the unrest and all the war and all of that so i just thought like from the perspective of you, of being an architect you literally get to be involved in something almost from ground zero so how does that even work who do you who do you have to speak to um you know were you speaking to the mayors to government how does that work for you to be able to start um helping to in in effect rebuild and redesign um, Mogadishu but from the perspective of it being as a service to the people um in Mogadishu how does that work so i want to i want to quote for a second uh, a discussion that uh, one of the, the speech of president barack obama because i think is is really related to this. And at a certain point, I mentioned the power of hope. And I think that in Somalia, the power of hope is really, really strong. You know, mm-hmm. people are really awful um, about like a, a, a better future, about like better situation. And, and everyone is working towards that. So I think what I did, uh, the, probably the, the most powerful thing that that I did was to, to give hope for, for, for something related to my own sector. Mm-hmm. Something also shared that, oh, you know, there is a inner beauty behind these ruins. There is a motive for you to, to look at these not as a ruin, but as a piece of your of your own history, good or bad. Yeah. So I think that the um, the symbolism behind uh, certain architecture work is way more important than the quality of the architecture itself. I love that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it is important, like sometimes because I, I love what you're saying about people having hope because, you know, too often we don't realize um, just how important that is. So I, I actually like like that you brought that in and you put it in that context. So I'm wondering, you know, as an architect, like outside of being able to design and so forth, working with people in Somalia, finding the right people, the skill level, how much mentorship were you doing? What was that process like? Well, in the five years that I spent there, uh, back and forward is that was one of my goals and i think was one of those goals that i quite fail uh to be totally fair i think that uh i wasn't able to um to to bring the change that i thought i would have been able to and i think that that was a very wrong idea that i brought with me and also very um diaspora centric kind of thing Mm -hmm. like i'm coming from the west i'm gonna you know fix the things and teach you how to do that uh thing that i changed i tried in uh, you know when i I was running my office over there to to train people to to work with them i i trained the first uh, i was working with the first um you know a female architect that she would be graduated i think next year and she's going to be the first female architect in the in the recent history of Somalia. Um, so I worked with her and other of her colleagues for as much as I could, you know, trying to, to teach them um, what I thought was right. So I managed to do that with few few people, few architects that now I can, I can see them uh, working, you know, towards a, a better future for, for Somalia. I know that now they do great things. I wish I could have done more, but I think that uh, sometimes, uh, you know, if you can change, like uh, if you could support one, two people, that's more, that's more enough. And this is the nice thing. On the, on the bad, bad spectrum of it, 
I was fighting every day with people and the construction side and the thing, you know, that was super draining, you know, mm -hmm. that was like a constant argument with everyone which made actually absolutely the work really, really hard in that sense. I want to understand, there's a few things I want to know about architecture in general. You know, um, we've interviewed different people and I want to kind of understand, like, what kind of a role do you think that architecture plays in people's culture and heritage, you know? I'm so happy that you actually asked me this because it's extremely important and it's something that I think is still come back from you know, uh, the colonization time in a sense, because in Africa, what is happening, we are neglecting completely our vernacular architecture, considering mm. that, you know, the symbolism of an undeveloped nation, mm. while often it's actually a symbol of a very progressive nation in a sense mm. that, you know, good professionals are able to, to understand what was happening with that and how to translate that in a contemporary building, because the thing is that we increase the technology, but the people that were used or they're still living in vernacular houses or settlement, they had a very strong sensibility directly or indirectly towards their landscape, climate, the weather, and the situation and sustainable settlement too. While today what we're doing, and this is a very common thing in the whole Africa, you go in the most tropical areas and you have this building with a glass facade where you have to put the air con every single day because it's too hot otherwise, because we are not able as architects to translate this. And even worse, a majority of the architecture that is happening in, in, in the whole continent, they are not run by African architects, but are always Western architects that come in these African cities or developers, and then the developer building that, you know, it doesn't matter if it's in Lagos or in London, it will work the same way. You're not able to recognize the thing. The problem is Lagos is not London and it shouldn't be like that. My, my, one of my own personal battles is exactly this one is like, okay, but you have your own identity and culture. Why are you looking at the West as a symbol of development? Why don't you look at your own nation? You know, something that we should develop in a direction of, okay, the West did this, but there are so many mistakes. So let's not take the mistakes. Let's just take the good things of it. And let's use this technology to make our own African built environment. Because this is what is important. But we are not going in that direction. We are going in a direction where, you know, in uh, 70 years, uh, Lagos will look like London. I love that you brought that in, you know, because it's, it's also bringing in our culture, which is so important. But also the whole idea about, like, maybe there they are a lot of ACs in certain, in certain buildings because we're designing, you know, African cities. <laughs> the way that you, in, in, in environments that are different. So the whole idea about weather and sustainability, how big of that is that, is that a consideration when you're building, you know, when, when you're designing in, in architecture? How much should that be considered? I think I want to be a bit cheeky on this. So uh, for me, it's very high. But the real question is how high, how high is this point, how people consider this when you talk with developers and client itself? Because one of the biggest challenges that I face, it doesn't matter where I work, in every part of the world that I'm working on, uh, is more to convince the client that that is the right thing. Mm -hmm. Because client is come to you with a photo brought from Pinterest and telling you, I want this. And then it, the challenge is for me to move that idea towards something that is more uh, uh, culturally related. 
So there is the, you know, we all have that emotional connection towards our own memories and cultures and moments that we spend with our family that are extremely connected to our culture. So, so if you're able to translate that into spaces of living, that is what it changed. But the real challenge is that, unfortunately, we're still largely under the hands of non-African architects that work in Africa. I really love that. And Omar, just before we bring this interview to a closing, you know, Somalia is one of those places. I, I think when I was, I was requesting this interview, I mentioned about how there was a Somali vlogger and she said about how Somalia uh, is the place where, where you can find beauty in the ruins. And you kind of alluded towards it, you know, um, and I've interviewed people like Kanan before and he mentioned about how Somalia is, you know, is a nation of poets and everything. And your TED talk was so funny when you're like, oh, black down because I was guilty of that, <laughs> you know, and the pirates and all of that. As somebody who is Somali, what do you think is the is the more beautiful way for, for people to remember the people of Somali when you think of them and the possibilities? How would you like uh, the world to kind of define um, your nation? I will say, I, I would call that the nation of jokes and smile because people are really funny, but also they, they yeah. smile a lot. But I think is it's a very African thing. And, yeah. and and I think you can find that their beauty in every nation. But I found that in Somalia, like one thing that really shocked me is that despite all the bad things that are happening, all the situations that are going on, people really smile and jokes every single day. So you know, there is this yeah. posit positivity towards like, I think this is great. Yeah, and, and I think you're absolutely right. That's actually the beauty of the nation. I mean, of, of, of not just Somalia, but of the entire African continent. I feel as though as Africans, regardless of everything we've been through, what has been thrown against us, you know, in the past, even present, it's difficult just being an African globally. We still smile. We're resilient. We still hear. Our spirit is strong. And I'm just so excited for the future because I really feel like beyond, beyond that the present and the future is Africa. And thank you so much, Omar Degan, for just contributing to this conversation. It's been incredible. No, thank you. And I'm really appreciative that you gave me like the, the time to share this. And and I think I think that we all as a continent is time again for this Pan-African movement of people connecting and and working together towards changing the image of the most neglected continent in the world. And I think we're all doing that uh, one way or another. But we should definitely keep in this way and, you know, keep moving forward and, and, and keep inspiring people because, you know, I live my life in a way that, uh, you know, uh, each one of us should teach it another person to, to, to get better or inspiring someone. So just mutual support and, and what you're doing is great. So I really appreciate that, that you are like all of us doing like some small work and, and, and give us a voice that. Uh, it's hard to gain. So thank you so much. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Africa Whisperer. I hope that you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed having this conversation with my esteemed guests. Please, if you want to find out anything more about the podcast, go to theafricawhisperer.com where you can find out about the team that helps put this production together, my amazing guests that we have each and every week, as well as send any feedback that you might have by emailing hello at theafricawhisperer.com Also remember to follow me on Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter as Lee Kasumba Catch you next time. Thanks.